Harrison, I had a my own theological emergency the other day. Okay. And you didn't call. I, I called myself, uh, and myself didn't know the answer. And uh, So then you call the expert. I should have, but I was like, you know what? Let's save this for podcast content. Uh, so there was a whole ruckus uh, in the United States last week uh, about the potential for protesters to show up at churches because of the uh, impending Roe v. Wade Supreme Court dealio, mm-hmm. which is all very big news. And so we, we called um, our local police department just to have them outside and whatever. And I was thinking, like, you know, best case scenario, best case scenario, it's May 8th, my birthday. I'm 33 years old. Someone comes in and just shoots me on the altar. Okay. Best case scenario, a, right? This is a very positive way of starting off the podcast. Because, you know, die on the altar, get martyred for the faith, go straight to heaven. Right? Except... And you'd have a lot of relics with all your hair. Yeah, yeah. People can use my relics and everything, and, like, it'd be great. Uh, big win for Father Anthony, you know, mm-hmm. all things considered. It'll be awkward for everybody else, but, you know, right. they can all say that they they were there, and they could come to my canonization and all that. They, but then you should be like, oh, darn it, there's another personnel hole that I have to fill. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I can do miracles for people. It'd be great. But then I realized something. As as you know, my parish we do liturgy very well. Uh, we very much stick to the rubrics. We make things beautiful. Our music ministry is amazing. Altar services are great. But you know, I, I don't know Latin very well, and so we okay. do some parts in Latin. You know, uh, but if I die, then I would be dying in the vernacular. Uh huh. And I think you only become martyred if you die at Orientum and speaking Latin. I think that's the only way you can actually get martyred. Do you go to heaven if you die in the vernacular? What about that French priest, Father Jacques Hamel, who died? I'm sure he could speak Latin. But he wasn't at Orientum. Okay, so maybe you go to purgatory if it's not at Orientum, but you speak Latin. I think you have to have both to go straight to heaven. Isn't Italian pretty darn close to Latin? Yeah, the thing is, I don't know Italian either, except from a few like oh, swear so words. Fake Italian is what you're saying. I am authentically Italian-American, uh, is what I am. With a heavy emphasis on the American. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, fair. Uh, but this was like, do I need to learn Latin to be martyred properly? If you, do not, if you die in the vernacular, do you die in real life? Uh, these are questions that I had. What, what do you think? I, I, I mean, I mean, you're fine? Like... <laughs> I got. I was like, I can't. I can't think of anything snarky to say here. I don't know. This is like a never thought of it this way before. I know, right? It's um, a. It's been troubling my soul. What you do is, as you see the gun coming out, you mm-hmm. yell "Pater Noster." I mean, that's got to count for something, right? Exactly. You know, now, you, know you know, you know the Our Father in one. Uh, Pater Noster, Quaes in Chile. If you sing it, you're praying Sanctific. twice. Jetor nomen tuum something something, um, and I don't even know what tone that was. Um, but uh, another question, another question. What if right. I see the gunman coming at me? I get real excited. Uh-huh. I get shot, and as I fall to the ground, I go, "Oh hell yeah!" Because I know I'm going to heaven. Does uh-huh. Saint Peter be like, "Dude, you can't say oh hell yeah' as you're dying and expect to go straight to heaven. It doesn't work that way." The thing is, though, the act of dying. Well, yeah, here, yeah. You see, here's the question: Is the Act of martyrdom is an act that is not something you necessarily will in a way. Okay. 
it ha- it's forced it's thrusted upon you right sure sometimes in this case the question becomes how long does it take until the action that will martyr you has to take effect because if it's going to take like 30 seconds what if you sin grievously in this in these 30 seconds after <laughs> the action has taken place see so if he said oh hell yeah i get shot and i just start cursing up a a storm and start complaining and yelling and wishing vengeance (laughs) uh you blew it you blew your one chance (laughs) (laughs) and and the government's like no i blew it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh man uh yeah i mean like so i mean like but i think the suffering of the Hmm. death would mitigate any because that's swearing like that is I mean that's not even really swearing that's just that's like, true that's true yeah, I have that's to like, really that's really low on the yeah on the all things sin, considered on the sin scale so like mm. I think I think the act of dying would more than make up for that little sin well I guess it's one of those questions I'll know when I know and by then it won't matter uh, but uh, yeah welcome <laughs> to clearly speaking <laughs> I doubt you're gonna be thinking about this if that ever happened. I definitely will now because this will be stuck in my brain in a weird spot. I'll, my dying thoughts will be clearly speaking. How lame will that be? Very weird thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my my life before. flashes before me, and it's just the Batman episode, and I'm just like, no. Jesus, <laughs> like a billion years of purgatory for, <laughs> for the Batman episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. So your father Anthony, right? I am Father Anthony. Yeah, I'm Father Harrison. There we go. I am Father Harrison. Um, I'll just say this before we record. I'm like, it's so funny because like I have all these stories and things to share from the last week that pop into my head. I'm like, oh, this would be a cool thing to share. This would be a cool thing to share. And then by the time I get here, I'm like, I, I, I forget. What, what am I supposed to say? Because I, like, I don't know about you. Like lately, it's been like it. it, it like I was a little late for recording because some stuff got delayed and everything. And yeah. Uh, it's like I'm always like running into the recording because it's always like squeezed into things. Yeah, which for sure. you know it's just the way life is right now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So since we last recorded, I believe um, I was in Victoria for something that I've never been a part of before in the church, and it was really cool. Um, a young woman by the name of Maria Arsenault became a consecrated virgin in our diocese. Yay! Which was really cool. And I was the MC for that mass, which... That's cool. Uh, ...was a lot of work, actually, because you have to... It's a, it's, a, it's a complicated ritual. It's actually... I would say it's actually more complicated than an ordination. Really? Yeah. There's just a lot more kneel here, stand there, say this, do that, mm-hmm. than there is of... Uh, than there's in a... An ordination, you say, I do, I do, I do. Right. And then you I do with the help of God and then you just shut up the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bishop like prays the, over you. The the uh the when someone's becoming a consecrated virgin, it's actually a little bit more involved. It's a little bit more involved. So and then uh, and I, I know how to work with my bishop quite well, I think. And uh he uh I, I'm used so like five minutes beforehand I had arranged that we would do the consecration in front of the altar. Mm-hmm. Kind of like at ordinations. Yeah, sure. was, my thought was like five minutes before the mass he goes oh do you want I think I'll do it for my chair and I'm thinking to myself we did not practice for this logistically at all yeah but we'll make it work <laughs> yeah we'll make it work I didn't get time to tell Maria I'm just like <laughs> oh you're coming here now yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, and it was fine it was good it was actually but it was a really cool beautiful liturgy although a little funny story from that so 
staying at the cathedral that night. And, you know, it's a lot of young people celebrating. They asked to use the hall and the lawn, which was fine. But by this time, it's like, and I, I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's 11 o'clock now. Mm-hmm. And the single pane windows in the rectory at the cathedral. And they have all these kids making all this noise out on the lawn. <laughs> and so I literally became that guy who went to the kids at 11 p.m. and said, get off my lawn. <laughs> well, essentially. And because yeah. uh, I'm like, there's three of us up here. And like, God bless the rector. He didn't want to be the bad guy. So I'm like, okay, fine. I will go be the bad guy. I'm like, yeah, you were guys- already the MC, So you're in bad guy mode anyway. Yes, pretty much. No, you cannot do this. Yes, you can do this. Nope, do this, do this. Nope, nope, yes, nope, nope. You have to learn to be a bit of a stickler for these things. You have to be mm-hmm. on top of it. But, you know, I was, not, I was not a jerk, but I was like, hey, guys, listen, it's 11 p.m., and I have to wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow, mm-hmm. and my room is right there, and yeah. I love that you want to celebrate. Go celebrate in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was cool and then the other little neat thing that's actually happened I actually just found it on Sunday I'm like so excited about this so I have a university in my parish mm-hmm. and it has about 19,000 students so it's quite large yeah um, and uh, for 12 years we've been trying to get a Catholic club on campus and not for want of Catholics wanting to do it it was that the university for some reason seemed to always think oh you guys can just join the Christian club no. It's like, no, we're different. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, you're not. But they would have... The audacity. Like, right? Welcome welcome to secular Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, they would have five Muslim clubs, but God forbid there'd be two, two groups of Christians on campus. Mm. But uh, uh, one of the young people from my young adult group this year, Maria Clamont, who was just graduating this year, actually... Uh, she worked for the student union for a while, so she she built up connections and stuff over the years, and we finally were able to get in place. And I just saw on Sunday, we got club status. Club status, baby! And this may not sound like a huge thing to people, but it actually really is because it means now I can set up a table for club stays, which mm-hmm. means I can now we can now be visible mm-hmm. and say, "Hey guys, we exist." And there's a church just a few blocks away here, and you you because I think we have a lot of foreign students who come here. And I think a lot of them kind of fall off the map once they get to school because they don't know where the church is and all this stuff. So now sure. we have it, it, it stops that bleed right there. It offers opportunities for evangelization, obviously. And then I can do stuff like rent out a classroom once a month to go say mass on campus. Like we don't, it's not like a lot of other campuses where you're going to have like offices and, and a place on campus for ministry, but it, it's, it gives us access, posters up and say, hey, we're going to have mass. We're going to have, you know, whatever. So um, not that I need more to do, but <laughs> yeah, but, but technically, technically it's part of my appointment as pastor at this parish is also to look after the university campus. So um, we'll make it work somehow next year. I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, You know, a question, why are all of our battles so lame now? Like, this is, like, the weakest version of, like, the investiture controversy or something. Like, we used to battle over who can name bishops and who has power in the states. And, like, now it's just, like, can we get club status at this university? Can the one holy Catholic (laughs) apostolic church get club status? It's like, wow, what a strange little world we live in. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. It is. It is strange. It's weird. But it is. Hey, a win's a win, though. But uh, it's actually a pretty big win, and yeah. I'm actually pretty, pretty, 
pretty stoked for what's going to come next year with that. So, and I like the university ministry. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to honestly, like where I'm struggling right now is just like looking at everything I got to do. I'm like, how is this going to be humanly possible? So I actually, I wonder, I'm going to check. Uh, I sent a little proposal to the diocese today. I think that can make this work. And I, I, I argued for it in the realm of, of, uh, dollars and cents. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, so, you know, we will, we'll get there, but, uh, I think you uh, should do your best to make the campus regret giving you club status as soon as oh, possible. I want to, I want to like process around with like Miriam statues. Yes. Like yes, exactly. <laughs> the problem is, I think the problem becomes, I think you have to like renew it every year or something like that. And they will, I mean, those are fun things to do, obviously, but if you make them regret it, they yeah. will revoke it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and in the end, you have to get just, we have to start thinking a little pragmatically what's better a marian procession around campus that will anger and and divide probably or that the fact that i can be there so that people can actually go to mass on sunday yeah get to, get to the sacraments that's that's how you have to think sometimes it's like yep. it is it is actually a necessary part of life that you have to think this way so uh but it'll be good to be there i'm looking forward to it and uh and just one last thing actually quickly is like the weird thing is like all of a sudden i don't know about you but like my parents like I've had like six people in the last couple of weeks just come up to me out of nowhere after mass. Oh, hi, Father. I'm a former atheist. I'm an agnostic. I'm a pro- I'm a Presbyterian, whatever. I want to become Catholic. And I'm like, where are you? I'm like, where are these people coming from? <laughs> yeah, we've been getting calls too uh, for RCA okay. for next year. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's good. Mm-hmm. Who knows? God's God's doing stuff. God's doing. This is the thing. It's like I don't I don't feel like we need to do a whole lot for evangelization because I've always found like. The Holy Spirit just tends to do the work. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine having an entire podcast dedicated to evangelization when the Holy Spirit just does all the work anyway? Why would you waste your time week after week putting out an evangelization podcast, naming it something like "Every Knee Shall Bow"? What yeah. a waste of time, chumps! Bunch of chumps. <laughs> Here we are, Jugulars. priests. Exactly. Just okay. Jesus is just doing his work. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Well, you know, let's get into some theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological emergency. We'll take your call at 412 912-7995. All right, son. Yeah, we've got uh, people stepped up. we got a bunch of new ones, uh, and they're all delightful. So let's see. Let's get to a couple this week. Hi, Father Anthony and Father Harrison. This is Jen calling from Cloverdale, British Columbia. I have a question today about extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion and hand sanitizer. Now, I know there was some discussion about this on Twitter a little while back, but my question is, so I'm an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion in our parish, and we go up at the Lamb of God, and then we're supposed to wash our hands in water, but then there's also hand sanitizer that's that's there, which, I mean, for obvious reasons. So my question is, is it liturgically correct to wash your hands with water and then use hand sanitizer? or to use hand sanitizer and then wash your hands with water. So I know which one makes sense to me logically, but I just don't know which one is more uh, liturgically appropriate, I guess we could say. Thanks very 
much. Uh, Harrison, I think you're real excited about this question. It's from Canada. <laughs> well, actually, I know Jen. She's a big fan of the podcast. Uh, oh, okay. I, I Hi, I Jen, if that is real name. Big fan of the podcast if you are a big fan. If you actually do you, are. Do you want to take first actually, crack at this? <laughs> she actually DM'd me about, about it, about saying, I think I'm going to do this. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for it. And then I'm like, well, let's do this. One. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, you want my honest opinion is like no hand sanitizer at all. But that's my uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, not right now, maybe per se, but I just, I'm not, I am, I'm not a fan uh, for a variety of reasons. And, and one of them is, I mean, really, I mean, if you're going up, just put on some hand sanitizer and after, where I, where I get frustrated, sure. honestly, there's two things. So I'm trying to work on this in places, but uh, um, one is you've distributed communion and then someone, and then the Eucharistic minister goes and puts more hand sanitizer on. Well, still probably having fragments all over there. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just like, I want to just uh, scream and yell and everything. Like, I have a little jar thingy with water next to the tabernacle that I dip my feet. The ablution cup? The ablution cup. Thank you. Yes. Um, so that's what I use, but I don't have anything at the at the um, credence table that I got. I mean, I got to work on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, or... Uh, we had a bit of a debate about this at the priest council meeting, and they're like, well, maybe we could do on the tongue, but like, you know, you have to sanitize after each time. I'm like, absolutely not. No. Why would you do I said, that? Because there are fragments on your hands. Yeah. So before, one or the other, fine. I mean, in normal circumstances, you shouldn't have to do anything. You just show up and, and just distribute communion. Um, but I mean, I don't think it, uh, I guess I would lean towards sanitizer than water. Just because the sanitizer you know, you don't want it getting, it gets sticky sometimes. You don't want it getting onto the Eucharist and stuff like that. So I would lean that way. Because the sanitizer done, has done its job. It's sanitized. And you put water on it, it's not going to do, it's not going to do any harm. So that's my See, little, this is interesting because we don't have like anything as far as like, so uh, biggest point that you made is right. So at my parish, we've got a little ablution cup actually on the altar. Uh, and we got, we got we have ablution cups everywhere because as soon as we found out that we had to use hand sanitizer, my pastor was like, "We're not getting any fragments in the hand sanitizer because that's the thing." Yeah. So um, we consecrate the Eucharist, we dip our little fingers in the ablution cup, then we use hand sanitizer, and so we use that. So that's the biggest thing. But I never heard of like while going up to the altar, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion washing their hands with water. Is that a, yeah. a rite or something? I've never heard of that either. Yeah. So, I mean, my big thing is, how about we all just wash our hands before Mass? Um, yeah. For the priest, there's even a little prayer you can do as you wash your hands before Mass. Yeah. And then let's just be normal about it. I would like to do that. Um, Imagine a world where we could be liturgically normal. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm not... See, with with our masks gone, I actually don't care about using hand sanitizer. It's just habit now, so I don't even think about it. Uh, but, I mean, can't we all just wash our hands before Mass? I think that's just a good rule. And wash your hands that, before like, Mass. And Everybody. because priests are dirty creatures, we also wash our hands during Mass. We do. <laughs> a little bit of water. So there's no liturgical answer I think, here. This I is... think I think there's the reason for two hand washings, by the way, is because yeah. we are the Roman Rite, and it's Italian, and Italians are greasy. And yeah, so that's true. That's true. This is uh, this. This just makes sense to me. Yeah, gotta get some of that grease off hands. Save it for your hair. <laughs> I just offended Save every it for your single, salad. I just offended every single Italian who listens to this podcast. It's gonna be. Great. That's not the first time, uh, nor will be the last time we insult uh, Italians. Um, and don't worry, Canadians, we'll get you. All right. So let's see what else we got. 
Hey, Father Harrison and Father Anthony, it's Greg. I have a question about something that I've heard, a phrase that I've heard ever since becoming Catholic. That phrase is the spirit of Vatican II. And I can't help but wonder, what actually is the spirit of Vatican II? Thanks and keep up the great work. Bye. So, Greg, if that is your real name, what is the spirit of Vatican II? Now, this is a very serious question because the spirit of Vatican II plagues many parishes. It haunts many places. Um, it hides uh, behind felt banners uh, within uh, bongo drums and also tambourines. Guitars will hide in there as well. So if you want to properly exercise your parish from this uh, evil spirit, you want to destroy all of those things. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, you'll find yourself in these odd liturgical situations where you start using drinking hymns, uh, drinking songs for hymns. Um, you'll start putting uh, fingerprints and handprints on pieces of cloth and using that for um, an altar cloth. Um, you will uh, start just adding weird stuff to the liturgy. The priest will show up dressed as a clown. The priest will show up dressed as a clown. Um, you'll start uh, just denying different, not actually outright denying, anything that goes you know about the catholic faith but you just kind of wink and nod in the other way to kind of weirdly mislead people like everything's basically okay we're not going to say it out loud and this is because the spirit of Vatican two is haunting and possessing everybody in your parish so you gotta get rid of those items burn them um to exercise them from your parish so that you can return to the uh true spirit of the church i i, I what's going through my head is like a scooby-doo cartoon where it's like the the ghost turns out to be like a caretaker all the time. Yeah, if it wasn't for you meddling kids, it's like it was the, the priest all along. It was he the was the spirit of Vatican too. <laughs> um, uh, but no, like I mean, yeah, those are all expressions of the spirit. So where this notion came from, Greg, if that is your real name, I I'm thinking, I think his name is Gerg. Gerg probably sounds like a Gerg. It, yeah, he's, it's. Probably he just probably spelled it backwards. Yeah. Um, no, it, it kind of it was it was a weird notion that developed by some theologians, especially after the council, who felt the council was not pushing their agenda sufficiently, or felt that they didn't, or what they felt was legitimately the the purpose of the council, which was to modernize the church in such a way that the church pretty much became like the world. And so there was a school of thought. And I think you could call this the concilium school to an extent, not completely, it depends on the person, but this yeah. it, it tended to flow out of this school where the note that you had to look beyond the texts of the council in order to get to its true heart and spirit. And so the texts they don't say what we want to say, but there's this there is this uh, spirit that's behind the texts. That's what really matters. And so you, which is a weird modernism in so many ways. Uh, sorry, my brain's going all over the place with that one right now, but I'm going to keep focused. Um, uh, and so what happened was everyone was saying, well, we're just, we're, we're living out what the council really intended, which pretty much said that you could do what you want because you didn't depend, you, who needs to look at the texts? Yeah. Because we're going the real direction the council did. And the council failed to get to where it was because of, you know, hardened structures and blah, blah, blah. And so we're going to be the ones who are really going to bring about what it really, really intended, which is a total revolution of the church. And so that was, and that, that did exist. And I think that was quite a strong mentality in the church, especially 70s, 80s, into the early 90s. And then sure. it starts to, then the warnings against it start to come. 
uh, it still exists. It's still out there. Um, it's dying a little. It's, it is dying for yeah. many reasons. One of them simply generational. The generation mm-hmm. who grew up with that, they're dying, literally. Um, yeah. And who promoted that, right? So our generation, like, we're blessed in many ways. Like, I remember when I went, when I went to seminary, we had a couple little weird things at the college. Like, because sometimes we'd, we'd have, like, seminary masses sometimes we do them at the college because there's all this weird one building thing at the time but uh uh there's a couple little weird things there but that was like one year and then everything after that was fine yeah and so we never really had i never really like i never really experienced the crazy spirit of vatican ii stuff partially because i was an adult convert yeah um and i think those people who are coming into life of faith just never knew that stuff and so aren't fearful of it because it just seems to be kind of dissipating yeah. And also like we studied the actual texts of Vatican II. Like that was a big part of my seminary formation. And like pretty much every class we in some form or another went into some of the texts of Vatican II. So actually like reading them and such, even though I can't necessarily call them all up at the top of my head, like you get an actual idea of what the texts really say. Um and so yeah, yeah, I gave a very a caricatured example of that. Um, but it's it's also like it was a historically weird moment in the West. So there was an insane amount of press coverage um, over Vatican II as it was going on. It's kind of the first big church event that was like broadcast in a certain way. Um, and then you had commentators on that. And so things got muddled. Uh, you've got all of the different cultural revolutions in the West getting mixed up in this. So it was all a big kerfluffle um, that we are uh, still kind of working through. But like Karen said, a lot less. So um in general, if you're on the internet and you hear Spirit of Vatican II, uh, if you listen to my kind of diatribe against it, that's probably the kind of thing they're talking about. So yep. there you go. Spirit yep. of Vatican II. Yep. Burn mm-hmm. your tambourines. Yep. Uh, felt good. Felt good to answer some good questions. And now yeah. let's get into some presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Oh, oh. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. All right. So I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. Um, that uh, across at least the United States, there was this worry because of a few Twitter accounts and other kind of rumblings on the Internet that there would be protesters of various sorts protesting uh, masses on Sunday, which was Mother's Day, protesting um, because of the impending potential. I'll believe it when I see it. Hopeful, but who knows? Um, decision to overturn Roe Wade. OK, and so a lot of people getting all, all worked up about this. I noticed that myself as well. Like there's kind of an excitement. Like, what if people come and protest our church? Isn't that terribly exciting? Um, mm. But now, one of my parishes, and one of, I have two churches. One's kind of off in the suburbs. We weren't worried about that because it's just not as public. It's more tucked away, suburban area. And then our other church is kind of like on the main drag of this kind of uh, more downtown sort of area. Um, so if something's going to happen, it's going to happen at that church. So we just called up the police, just had them kind of sit out there as kind of a little precaution. We did a few other things, like uh, the deacon kind of held on to the tabernacle key. Just better safe than sorry. But yeah. at the end of the day, there wasn't a whole lot of worry. But what fascinates me is a lot of the reactions that I felt and I saw among other people. Um, a kind of excitement about potential protesting. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, 
the story of Origin. I'm not sure if it's a true story or not. I'm not sure how much to believe about Origin's life because he's a very controversial figure and a lot of people who hated him, their writings survive. Anyway, there's a story about him being a young person and very much wanting to be martyred. I think there's probably enough evidence that this was something that happened in the early church. Right. Uh, there's kind of this basic idea that martyrdom um, was kind of your best shot at getting to heaven, kind of like I joked about. Um, right. And indeed, being martyred for the faith, the church has always said, like, you're going to be in heaven for doing that because you're uh, most closely imitating the death of Jesus Christ. Yep. Anywho, as a young man, he was very excited about this. And so when Roman patrols would go by, he would want to go outside and get martyred by them. His mother, in order to prevent this, would hide away all of his clothes. So if he wanted to go get martyred, he had to run outside naked, and he didn't want to do that. So he never got to embrace martyrdom. Yeah. And something about that it's, energy. It's kind of like, kind of like yeah. St. Ther- uh, Teresa of Avila, right, when she was a kid. Yes. Uh, they wanted to, she wanted to run off and get uh, martyred by the uh, Moors who were attacking Spain at the time. Yep. And so her, she, would, she tried to convince her cousin, and actually I think it was only, they only stopped because their uncle found out about the plan and stopped them. Yeah, <laughs> but there's that there's that weird energy that I think a lot of Christians have to. It's not just for the drama of it. Yeah. Um, and I see this also kind of in the culture that we want so desperately for an enemy that we can see and fight. Like yeah. we very much want the enemy to be something simple. So a bunch of crazy people come to protest at your church. We start imagining what we'll do. You know, if they come armed, we start imagining what we'll do. I start having imaginations and fantasies of my own martyrdom, right? And it's like, I think there's something unhealthy about this, mm-hmm. um, if we're really honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it's... Part of it is that we wish we had better enemies in a certain sense. Like a lot of things that are going against the church, they're kind of large cultural forces. Um, This kind of, it feels more like a slow decay in the culture. Not, um, and this will be a thing that, you know, I talked about a lot as a seminarian, a lot of uh, young people talk about as well. Like, and we quote things like, you know, um, uh, about dying in prisons and here comes the um, persecutions and such. Mm -hmm. with a kind of excitement that I think is misplaced for several reasons. Mm -hmm. And first and most obvious is that the church doesn't want persecution for the church. Right. Like we try very hard to make sure the church isn't persecuted so that people can receive the sacraments, have time for conversion and go to heaven the normal way. Like that's what the church wants. Yeah. Yeah. And she wants that because she knows how frail we are. Mm Mm-hmm. That for every story of a heroic martyr, there are a bunch who denied the faith in the early church. And it's one thing to say and to believe that uh, you would be martyred for the faith, but that's not a test we should want to undergo. Like Christ says quite plainly, pray that you don't undergo that test. Yeah. So why are we so excited about it? These are my initial thoughts. I have more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few. So uh, this is probably going to, as long as I remember this by next week um, for my topic, uh, but I think I think this is this. Is, but it does get to a constant refrain. I keep on kind of screaming from the rooftops about mm-hmm. how we experience the life of faith nowadays, which is simply this: we live our Catholicism through the lens of modernism. And so, um, what I mean by this here, for example, is that this we see worldly opposition 
to the life of faith in the church as a as like the playing out of the warring between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And this is, I would say, especially true in America because America has a very and I don't mean this as like a weird judgment against Americans or anything like this, but it's just but the American spirit and project has always had this strong um, push towards. Are those bells going on? Yeah, sorry. It's uh, it's time for the Angelus in Pittsburgh. Ah. Okay. <laughs> the Angel of the Lord. No. Um, uh, so the American vision of things tends to hit the battle between good and evil in political terms. Mm-hmm. And so this excitement kind of grows out of that Americanism, really. Mm-hmm. But this is not just, and, and I thought, but I mean, it's not just Americans, and I see, I do see it up here too. It's, so there's this weird sense that if um, if we're going to chase down this martyrdom, we're actually, if we're going to live out this this fight against the, these evil people, um, we are in some way participating in the the final battle uh, of, of of like the eschatological battle, right? So yeah. like there is. There's this strong sense of eschatology, like it's what I would call, to put it technically, imminentized eschatology, and I think yeah, I talked yeah. about this on the podcast before, whereby salvation is seen through the lens of worldly events, of what we do and how we. But that's like that's Pelagianism, man. Like this is all like mm-hmm. this is what happens when you lose transcendence, and so Catholics get excited about these things because we're like, hey, we're actually participating in the in the salvific story in a very powerful like, way. Now we're actually doing something right. as opposed to the normal Christian life. Like right. that doesn't really count. Now we actually is, get to do right. something. Exactly. And here's the thing, the real, and, and the real enemy loves it. Yeah. <laughs> loves it because we're distracting our attention. Now, by all this, I get my, must be incredibly clear. Cause I'm sure there are going to be some people saying, Oh, Father Harrison thinks that we shouldn't be fighting against the Lord. No, I'm not saying that at all. Not one bit. I'm not uh-huh. saying that we don't have activism and even political activism in yeah. this world. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is we have to put it within the lens of God's eternal salvific work rather than seeing it as the means by which his kind of eschatological finality comes. So mm-hmm. there's like this is in a way, to use a bad hymn, this is all acting out of the sense of building the city of God. Yeah. Um and and that's not really how the Catholic faith is meant to be lived. Our, our our war, as Paul likes to say, is against principalities and powers, spiritual realities that work, yes, within the life of this world and its influences, but actually, the some of these demons are only cast out through prayer, fasting, and penance. Mm-hmm. And I think we have lost, because we've lost this notion of transcendence so completely, we've lost even the transcendence of faith and can only see faith through political and world historical terms. Yeah. And it's getting, yes, it's getting to a side issue, but something that's that's been bothering me lately, and I think I've been hinting at it the last maybe even years, um, this idea that the political right is the church's ally, which I utterly refuse. Now, Okay, certain things like abortion's bad. Working politically against abortion. Okay, that's good. Um, 
a lot of the uh, social and cultural stuff that's more aligned with the typical right um, is in line with a lot of Catholic thinking. Uh, but because the political right in America is so charged with different um, Protestant um, energies that they seep in to our Catholic thinking, that's makes it dangerous. Like the, the political left for me is not as scary because like, okay, yeah, abortion's bad. Um, uh, gender ideology is bad. Um, like these things are like kind of normal and less sneaky enemies. Whereas this kind of weird um, cultic energy that's in a lot of the right, um, that's a sneakier energy that worries me more. Um, and also to a certain extent, like in the area I've grown up, most people, not all, but definitely, I think most regular mass goers tend to see themselves as part of the right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with um, being a part of a political party for practical reasons, because you want to vote in primaries and blah, blah, blah. And you, got, and you feel like you need to vote and you need to pick one. That's fine. But this weird, like, super allegiance to it, that's what scares me. Because uh, I don't think we honestly look at our hearts in this and what we really believe, which gets me back into what I kind of wanted to get more into, which is this idea that like now we can actually do something because there'll be protesters that show up mm -hmm. means that we've, we're actually abandoning the more difficult battle. Like one act of heroism, it feels like the easy way out because it is. Mm -hmm. The slow, painful grind of the cross um, is not one momentary act of heroism. Exactly. It is a lifelong cross that we bear, exactly. like rooting out the sin in our lives, growing in virtue, going to the sacraments, raising your kids. Like these are the actual battles that bring us to heaven. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, uh, Jesus, if Jesus wants a particular cross for you, he will ensure that it comes your way. Yeah. yeah, maybe there will be a time. Like, let's say a thousand protesters showed up at your church and your parishioners, not out of a sense of, oh, we got to do something, but rather out of a spiritual motivation of a love for Jesus and his church with the spirit and heart of Jesus decided to come out to protect the parish, yeah. the church. Well, that's, I think, a lot better than like, oh, good, we got to do something. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's we different. We get to stand against. We get to stand against. Right. And you are the enemy, and and like and there's this deep down, even I would call it a resentment of one's opponent, which mm -hmm. doesn't come from the spirit of praying for one's enemies, for example. Yeah. Right. So, um, there there are times and places in the life of the church, but like that moment of defense is the last stand, not the first. Yeah. Right. Like like I I think of um, the martyrs in. Um, Oh my gosh! One the 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 Benedict the Trappist martyrs in Albania, mm -hmm. um, uh, and the movie about them, which whose name is escaping. Is it Silence? Now. No, that into the great into integrate Silence is another one. Silence is another one too. That's a different yeah. one. That's the Japanese martyrs. Oh, okay, okay, right. Um, anyways, um, but it's a great film, and it's really it's really interesting because they know the threat is coming and they know, and it's them wrestling with whether or not they should stay. They could escape. Mm -hmm. They could escape. They could, but it, it becomes like this interior certainty that we have to stay for the people here that we serve. Um, 
but it's it's the last thing, not the first. And so, and it's always been that case with pretty much all the saints. It, it you know, because if, if if Maximilian Kolbe wanted to really offer his life for someone else, he had plenty of opportunities within. There, there's a particular moment. It, it, yeah. It's the instantiation of a particular moment and a call from God in an interior motivation rooted in a de- life of depth of prayer that doesn't result necessarily in in political action, but it's actually an interior spiritual freedom that that is only Christ's freedom working in you. And so this it's the last option, not the first. Right. And if we're not focusing on that life of prayer, on the life of the sacraments, on uh, having the Lord root out these habitual sins and this sort of thing, then we're not going to be ready for that moment. Yeah. And it, it's kind of trusting in your own strength, which is always going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dangerous. And like I said, I felt this in myself as well. You know, as a, even, even if it's only half jokingly, like what if this happens? But also like, I'm so glad nothing happened at my church. Right. Yeah. Because we had two, I celebrated two lovely masses on Sunday and they were both glorious. Uh, and it was like, that's better. That's better than protesters showing up and us making some sort and, of heroic just, gesture. It's help. better just to have a nice mess. <laughs> here, here's the other thing, just to put this in a little bit of perspective for everyone. Yeah. Not that I've been online a lot lately because I've just been pretty busy, but uh, yeah. I didn't even know something was coming for people in America until Saturday night when someone mentioned, oh, yeah, they, they got to protect their churches or they got to protect the mm-hmm. Eucharist or whatever. I'm like, oh. I didn't even know something was. I mean, what's going on? I'm like, I, I, I kind of intuited why, yeah, that would be happening. But I was like, oh, is there like a organized movement against the churches all of a sudden for some reason? It's always interesting too. They, the only ones they want to go after are the Catholics, right? Uh, they, because we all, which tells you, mm-hmm. interestingly, that they're in in their hatred uh, towards us because it is hatred, mm-hmm. right? Um, there is a recognition of the, that we actually stand for a truth, yeah, of what the Eucharist is. So, like, interestingly, they are actually showing, <laughs> in a twisted way, the yeah. truth that what we really hold to be dear. And it does bring out, and it does bring out some good stuff. Like, I remember one person saying, "Oh, yeah, well, we had to put out, you know, people stewards to help protect the Eucharist in case." Something this or this that happened, and telling people to consume right away and everything. Yeah, but like. I mean, I mean, Canada. It's not like I'm far away, but like I, I just don't pay attention to the news as much anymore. I'm like, oh, they even know that was a thing. Yeah, because in the end, it's like if those things came up, then you deal with it in the moment as you see as you see fit. Um, but like, it's very like, yeah. There's this weird, weird eagerness that isn't rooted in the maturity of faith that recognizes the real reality of the cross. Mm-hmm. And it wants an easy. So it's really it's it's actually escaping the cross by wanting an easier cross. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's also like it's it's the cross itself is a long moment, if you will. But uh, just looking back on the it's entire his hour. passion, it's yeah. his hour. Yeah, uh, but also looking back on the entire passion, like what did the Lord pray in the garden? Like, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. Like there's not a, there's an eagerness in Christ to fulfill his father's will. There's an eagerness in Christ to save us. There's not an eagerness to suffer and die. Right. Yeah. But he knows that's what has to happen. Right. And, and that's very different than being excited about violence. And it's thrusted towards him. Yeah. Right. It's, it's imposed upon him 
and he embraces it out of love for us. Yeah. But it's 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 not something he's like, all right, yeah, let's let's go take let's go get crucified. Woo. <laughs> yeah. That's not and, love because actually that's yeah. the other thing. It's actually more the pagan mythical vision of gods mm-hmm. where they have to build up themselves mm-hmm. and make become this like naturalized hero rather the the truly divine aspect of revelation the truly divine aspect of the cross is the fact that god willingly was bound by this world and actually just embraced it out of love for us to demonstrate his love um that is actually hard to do yeah that is actually really hard to do and it's and i think i mean to an extent this is always going to be the case in the church it always has been and always sure but yeah it's we gotta be centered on the cross man yeah um, and I mean, there is going to be a final climatic moment for each of us. There's a reason why for every Hail Mary, pray for us now at the hour of our death, mm-hmm. um, that there will be great temptation, uh, for many of us at the time of our death. Um, but that temptation is going to be more probably interior. Um, uh, well, it'll definitely be interior so for some of us, maybe exterior and interior. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the importance of actually getting close to Christ, understanding suffering, understanding love, um, and like, don't get me wrong. I have been more angry the last few weeks than I have been in a long time hmm. reading a lot of the, just the vitriol and the comments and the absolutely absurd and all these arguments for abortion, all the double speak. Mm. It's like, I'm looking at a circle and people keep telling me it's a square. I'm like, no, I don't even know how to argue against you when you're so wrong. And not only are you so wrong, like the, the thoughts themselves are so evil and twisted and, and vitriolic towards um mm. life and toward catholicism like i get that anger i've been ticked off mm-hmm. and then yeah. then, then well, no, you know, I, I was like the little yeah. stuff i have seen i'm like oh this is disgusting like, it's not just it's ugly it's like it's it's disgusting it's demonic yeah like, it, it has is. a demonic character mm-hmm. and his influence is at play there but here's the thing his, it's his yeah. influence like I, that's why i like to talk about mm-hmm. i like to use the ignatian phrase the, the evil spirit Yes, yes. Because what it means is actually, it means that it's it's the effects of his influence, but it may not always necessarily be an absolute direct influence. And I think the problem is we say, oh, that person who's pro-abortion, who's doing these really ugly, disgusting things about, oh, you know, I'm going to go, like, I, I saw some really, even from some media sources about, like, I'm going to, whoever the person leaked it, I'm going to um, have intimate relationships with them so I can go get, and I'll go get an abortion afterwards. I'm like, that's, 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 that's insane. Influence. That's insane. That's the influence of the evil one, but yeah. it's not necessarily an absolute direct. And I think this is the thing. So what happens is we get this excitement because we actually think, well, no, the devil's using that person in particular for this. And it gets like, colla- the, the spiritual realm gets collapsed into this world's events too much that we see these things as if it's at the playing out of a spiritual reality. Uh, to, it is to an extent, but not in the way most people think. Yeah, and it's and I, in that sense we don't give the devil enough credit because we end up when we give into that idea, we end up playing on his battlefield yeah. and thinking that we're doing a good thing, all the while undermining who we really are. Um, the devil is very clever when it comes to this sort of sources of conflict, like twisting of truth, because um, like the idea of like the beauty and um, grace of martyrdom is a real thing. And to twist that is exactly what he would want to do. Um, and also, like, what you, I'm, like, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the bad spirit or the evil spirit. Because in a lot of 
uh, far right conspiracies, um, which have more and more gone into Christianity influences, New Age influences, and sometimes those things are actually hard to discern in a lot of uh, Christian corners. It's very much so these people are possessed by demons. Mm-hmm. It's a not understanding of the spiritual life um, or of how the enemy works or how God works. And we're falling into that and we're becoming mm-hmm. less Catholic. And I don't like yeah. that. I want, to, I want us to be more Catholic. This is, and this is, I mean, this is not going to sound very ecumenical of me. Mm. But really, we have to always remember the Protestant foundations of America. Yeah. Right? And, and then that America is, is all because Protestantism in the end is at least as it exists in the American project is actually Americanism with the Christian veneer. Yeah. Generally, not completely, not mm-hmm. universally, but it's been my, I, I like I've seen videos of church services and pro, like in Protestant churches for 4th of July. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a worship of America rather than a worship of God and Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and so, and be, and and again, there's a logic to all this, and it actually makes a lot of sense why these things play into each other. And so, when you allow the American political project to become the first priority in your life as a Catholic, you are actually allowing um, the the kind of Protestant ethos into your, and, and it chips away at the Catholic ethos. And it really has to be the other way around. It doesn't mean that we can't exist, work, and in that in that space in that reality. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, we can. That's where we find ourselves. This is it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But that it has to be rooted actually in the Catholic ethos and the Catholic way, which is fundamentally always a sacramental way, uh, which recognizes both the very closeness of the spiritual realm, but also its real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yes, God is at work in the world. And yes, uh, my story and the story of of my life and of politics and moral battles etc are all part of this but not in this imminentized way that it tends to be portrayed um but that comes but protestantism is in the end imminentized christianity mm-hmm. and by this i mean a christianity that collapses the transcendent into this world and can only see this world as the expression which is all like super hegelian in many ways too and and it's well, just, you know, it's all it's all, it's all there. I'm yeah. in Hegel right now, unfortunately. So, uh, but it, it, and that's, I mean, again, I, I and I say this more as an outside observer rather than someone who lives in it. Right. Um, and I and I don't have actually, and I think there are benefits of hearing that from those who live in it, like yourself. But as the outside observer, I'm like, man, this is just all the Protestant spirit mm-hmm. chipping away at the Catholic spirit. So I guess, yeah, one of the main things I'm trying to get at is that we really need to look at our own motivations, our own hearts um, before we make decisions or even like, it's just, we can, we all, myself included, can be easily tricked mm-hmm. and we need to be humble and aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope people understood the nuance, like abortion is the worst evil this country does. I mean, there's there's a lot of evils that happen, but like, it's the murder of innocence. Having less innocence murdered is a good thing. Like, we're not saying any of that. Being part of um, using politics as a tool to make that happen, great, good, fine. Um, to make, but to I make, always worry. To make, wait, you mean not not to make abortion happen, but to make to stop yes, abortion? Yes, to stop Sorry, abortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not like I since the topic. Let's make sure we say it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know. Okay. All right. All right. No, no, exactly. Understand- and, 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 and but like. 
But at the same time, and I think this is where we do need a bit of nuance too, and people kind of go after it sometimes. Tonight, but I, there is something to the notion of the mm-hmm. consistent life ethic as well. Yes, absolutely. See, some people say, oh, it's a way of watering down no. stuff against the board. You're like, no, actually, it's not. If you look at it properly, and if stuff I've read from Bernardine, I'm like, no, this actually kind of makes sense to me. I mean, this is, she's actually very close to Pope Benedict and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in Canada, for example, euthanasia is also legal, mm-hmm. which I would argue is an equally grave evil. Mm-hmm. Equally grave. Why? It's the taking of life mm-hmm. prematurely. Whether it's in a womb or at the end, it's the same action. And so, um, and I just say that because I remember once we had a March for Life here in Victoria. And, I, and the whole theme that year, because the euthanasia debate was on, yeah, was really to focus on that question. But everyone was there, everyone who did the talks and everything, it was all about abortion again. Even though the bishop was like, we really need to focus on the euthanasia question. Yeah. Like, Guys, abor- yes, abortion's bad, but also so is euthanasia. Like, they are equally evil. Mm-hmm. They are equally evil. And we got to be uh, okay with, with recognizing that. And then at the same time, recognizing that we exist in countries whose very prosperity depends upon the suffering and the loss of dignity of others. Yeah. And that that requires action as well and political, moral, and economic choices to help change that as well. And you can't ignore those things. We can't focus on everything, but we can't ignore these things either. And that right, important right. questions to be considered as well. Uh, we might have to do a whole episode on like uh, the um, consistent life ethic because yeah. one of these days, and it might be for next time uh, I do a, a mass for um, uh, Right for Life or something, I'm going to do my abortion homily it's going to make everybody mad at me while still condemning abortion and all that but it's like man you know what if if this whole culture because it is an entire culture um all these little things all there are tons of little ways where people who are pro-life are giving into a pro-death culture um Mm -hmm. like if you're poor then you don't count as a person if you're on the left or on the right, you don't count as a person. Um, if you don't agree with me, you don't count as a person. Um, I am the master of life, and I will use, I'll uh, express that through contraception. There are all these things that contribute to this idea that human life only has value if we give it value. Mm-hmm. That's how this whole mindset happens. It's not just um, this one issue. It's it's the most rotten fruit of this entire tree of evil. And there's mm-hmm. lots of roots to it that we need to root out. And I think being consistent in that makes just perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but then it means it's very hard to look at ourselves and say, well, I'm the sinner too. No, I might have committed any kind of abortions and thank God for that or been a part of that. But I'm the sinner too. Yeah. But And yeah. that's but that's that's a heavy cross. That's a cross that uh, isn't as fun as beating up a bunch of protesters. Yep. Yeah. Amen. All right. I think everyone's right. sufficiently mad at us. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me getting ready for my day off. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. If you have a theological emergency, call 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995 and I know there's some of you listening they're like I don't know I'm too nervous to call here's the deal we want you to call and leave your question 
If it's a bad question, we just won't answer it. Like nobody will know. Exactly. So go well, for we, it. We well, we will know. We will know, but you but know what? We'll still thing. love you. We never really know if it's your real name or not anyways. So yeah. what, what have you to lose? What have you to yeah, lose? exactly. So go lose? for it. I love, 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 even the ones we don't go to. Um, it's been really neat to kind of connect with our listeners in this weird yeah. way. Um, so give Although, us a call. I think, I think we got to bring this to him back one day for just the full time sake. Oh, it'll happen. It'll, it'll happen. happen. I just got to get back on Twitter more. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. Okay. All right. Peace. God bless.